Greetings and welcome to Union Street Hoops. I'm your host, Paul Oren, and you're tuned into a podcast dedicated to Valparaiso basketball and the Missouri Valley Conference. You can find me on Twitter at NWI Oren. You can find Union Street Hoops on Apple Pods, Google, Spotify, and go to the newly redesigned NWI.com and find Union Street Hoops and also find that we've got a new player uh, on on there, a new podcast player. So, uh it looks sharp. It looks. It sounds great. It's it's wonderful. So, check it out. Union Street hoops all over the information superhighway. Well, Valpo's got Southern Illinois coming up, uh, but we're going to look back first. I've got a jam-packed episode here, uh, and, and I'll I'll tell you the guests here in a second. Although, if you're listening, you've probably already read the description. You already know who they are. So, I don't really know what we're doing here. I'll tell you this. I said last week Valpo had a chance to make some statements. Northern Iowa at home and at Loyola, and then a game against Southern Illinois. And you'd hoped that you'd go 2-1 and one in those games because they're two home games. 0-3 oh was a disaster. You're going to end up in, in Thursday night without question at, at the Missouri Valley Tournament for the third year in a row. 1-2 and two, well, now maybe you know you, you don't really know. It's, it's not a lot of teams that are gonna are gonna go into Loyola and win, uh, despite the fact that the same night that Valpo got housed by Northern Iowa, Indiana State at Indiana State, mind you, destroyed Loyola, which maybe gave a little bit of uh, of intrigue to the Valpo Loyola game on Sunday. But let's look at this Northern Iowa game first. Um, I'm going to do a brief look at each one of these games because with the guests coming up later on, we'll, we'll do a lot more. Valpo came out so flat in that game, and it, it just was mortifying to watch if you're a Valpo fan, right? Uh, and matter of fact, in the post-game press conference, I asked Javon Freeman-Liberty about the slow start, and he sat there in stunned silence for a moment or two. It, it felt like an eternity, and, and he you know, stammered out an answer. But it was clear that they just did not have the answer. Matter of fact, Matt Lotta came out and said, look, slow starts are killing us, and if I knew the answer to that question, I would give it to you guys. I don't have the answer. And uh, it just... It, it, it wasn't a good look. It was it was a deflating game for the Crusaders against Northern Iowa because you felt like they had showed maybe some fight in that Illinois State game. They won, you know, and and, and Northern Iowa comes out and Valpo misses 20 of their 23 three-pointers. And then they play Loyola and they're right there. Then, you know, the, the, and that was an up-and-down, topsy-turvy game. They came out strong. They were in it. I, I put on Twitter, can Valpo avoid falling by double digits in the first seven minutes? After the first seven minutes, they were leading. There was no slow start, but there was a lull in the middle of the game. And then Valpo went on a run late, and they went on a run late with some three-pointers. They got back into it. They Loyola gifted them opportunities by missing a ton of free throws. And, you know, and they took a ton of free throws. They took 21 free throws. Valpo took five. That happens, particularly, and Valpo has struggled this year with being an aggressive team going to the basket. In that Northern Iowa game, they were not very aggressive in the first half. They were in the second half, and their trips to the free throw line bore that out. Valpo gets back in the game. They can't get over the hump. They get close, and this has become a theme, right? Valpo either starts out slow or at some point gets down by double digits, right? And then they fight and they fight and they fight and they get back in the game. 
And then at the end of it, when you've got 500 words to write a story, like I do, you know, do you, what do you concentrate on? Do you concentrate on the fact that the fight and the way back? Do you concentrate on the fact that they struggled in the middle of the game, that they came out strong? And, and I think a lot of times the headlines of our stories look the same. Late rally comes up short for the Crusaders. I've typed that at least half a dozen times this year. But there have been late rallies. But what has to happen to make sure that Valpo doesn't fall into these lulls? So later on in the podcast, actually pretty quickly from now, because I'm going to touch on one other thing. I have I, I recorded this in person. Torrance Price uh, joined me. Torrance, as you know, um, has been a guest on this podcast before. We'll touch on that uh, when, when I talk to him. But Torrance played at Valpo. He also coached at Valpo. And then later on, Chris Sparks will join. And Chris Sparks played at Valpo, coached at Valpo. And they were both here during maybe the glory years of the post-Sweet 16, going to the NCAA tournament a couple times. I think, uh, you know, Sparks is on the Sweet 16 team. Uh, didn't really play much. Didn't play a lot in his career. Torrance Price had... You know, he played a, a bit here for Valpo, probably thought he should have played more when he was playing, and he'll touch on that a little bit. But uh, I I wanted to talk to two guys, and Chris Sparks called the game. He's he's working basically for Loyola now and and, uh, and calling the game for them, calling games on either radio or, or their ESPN broadcasts. I wanted to talk to these guys about a myriad of topics, right, including the state of the program. And what they think about Matt Loddick. Look, I'm not. I, 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 people are critical of me a lot because they say that I carry Loddick's water. That I, I, you know, I'm not trying to, to. I'm not trying to fire the guy publicly. That's not my job. My job is to be objective, right? My job, is, and sometimes that that bleeds over a little bit. Case in point, I felt like there was a foul at the end of that Loyola game, and. I, I thought that there was contact, right? And I probably was a bit forceful about that. And, and you know, I, I, I questioned Porter Mosier in the postgame press conference and asked him, uh, you know, he, he talked about how great of defense it was. And I asked him, would he think it was great defense if he was on the other side of that call? And, and I don't know that I mapped out the question the way that I wanted to. And, uh, you know, and, and he doubled down and said he didn't think there was contact there. I'll talk to both Terrence Price and Chris Sparks about what they think about that play call in particular. But look, I, you know, I, it's not the job of, of the beat reporter to to call for a guy to be fired, right? It's not, I, look, Matt Loddick, Mark LaBarbera, and probably a lot of the fans are a lot smarter than I am about about this stuff, Right. What I've told you guys this before, what I see day in and day out is a group of guys, Lottick included, that are fighting hard to turn this thing around. Why is it need to be turned around? Well, there's any number of things there, right? I mean, you move to a new conference, you don't have NBA players on your team right now, uh, you know, and, and maybe you do in Javon Freeman Liberty, right? And so who recruited him? Well, okay, Matt Lottick. So... I, I just think that there is value in bringing in some guys who've played for Valpo before, who are around the program, who know what's going on, to ask them what they think. Because I truly don't know the answer. Valpo's lost seven straight games to Loyola. Is Loyola a dominant team, or is it right there for Valpo to take? 
and we'll bring in Terrence Price, and then we'll bring in Chris Sparks, and we'll ask him that question. One other point that I want to make before we bring in Terrence here is uh, is is tough news out of the NBA late last night. Ryan Brokoff released by the Dallas Mavericks. They bring in Michael Kidd Gilchrist from the former Kentucky player. I think he was the number two overall pick, played for the Hornets. They buy him out, and the Mavericks are going to sign him to a deal for their for their stretch run here. And uh, and Brokoff was was a casualty. He had a fully guaranteed one point four million dollar contract for this year. Uh, it's a relatively low number. Doesn't cost Dallas a lot to 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 buy out Ryan. I think what struck me was the amount of Mavericks fans who responded. Ryan tweeted out and and put on Instagram some post a post just kind of thanking. Dallas, the fans, the teammates, the coaches, and all of that, and the amount of positive response that he got. And I just don't think we see that a lot in pro sports, right? When 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 professional athletes are putting stuff out there, they're, they typically get, you know, there's, there's negativity out there. And there was very little, if any, negativity toward Ryan on Twitter last night. And I thought that was, you know, and, and why should there be? The guy's great. You know, he's excellent, excellent uh, human, first and foremost, father, a husband, and a pretty darn good basketball player. So I'd like to hope that Ryan, you know, just getting to know him over the years, I'd like to hope that he bounces back pretty well here and uh, and, and has another shot here in the NBA. There's any, any number of teams out there that need a shooter, and as much as I'd love to see Ryan, you know, get into the playoffs, I think it also would be uh, would maybe behoove him to to maybe the Cavaliers might pick him up, you know, reunite with Matthew Delavadova Della or – the Lakers need a shooter, or the Phoenix Suns need a shooter. I mean, obviously the Lakers are are going to the playoffs, but some of these other teams, some of these sub five hundred teams, need need a shooter, and maybe he could get some run on a on a team like that. So I think that would be an excellent opportunity for Ryan. But um, you know, again, what do I know? So I, 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 I again, I, I want to bring in Torrance and I want to bring in Chris Sparks a little bit later on because I think they've lived it. They've played the game. They've coached the game at this level. You know, granted, uh, Chris Sparks was an assistant coach. Torrance Price was a grad assistant. But they've been on the bench. They've been on both sides of it. And Sparks has seen Valpo a couple times this year and, and watches the games online. And Torrance has been to many games this year and watches everything online, was uh, was glued to his iPad during the Valpo-Loyola game. And these guys have some, some interesting perspective, I think, as to – what happened at the end of that game, and what is going on with the program right now. Whether you agree with them, whether you don't, I think it's a fascinating look from two alums from Valpo who have got some things to say about the Valpo basketball program. TP, thanks for joining. Thank you for having me, Paul. It, you are maybe my favorite player guest I've ever had on Union Street Hoops because you were early on when we first started this podcast. We talked about that game against Oakland, yeah. and you recounted each play like you'd played the game yesterday your memory your recall it just showed to me that you you take the game of basketball and treat it like a very important it was your job for a long time absolutely and and you reached out to me last night after this Valpo Loyola game we had some talks on it and I said hey look I cannot miss this opportunity to have you back in front of the microphone here to talk about this because that game yesterday was something. Later on in the podcast, Chris Sparks, who called the game for Loyola Radio, is going to be on to talk about what he saw in person. But I want to talk to you. Uh, let's talk about the game first, and then I want to talk bigger about the basketball program because you're here in town. You work for the Valpo Parks Department. You spend some time at a lot of the games. Let's talk that game first. 
you're a player, you've played the game all your life, Valpo gets the rebound, they're coming down the court, all you want is a shot, right? All you Mm -hmm. want is an opportunity to make a play, and Valpo didn't get that shot. Was it because Javon Freeman Liberty got fouled or because the kid Marquise Kennedy from Loyola made a great play? From my angle, and you have to remember too, where I was watching the game, man, I was watching off my iPad, and I was at work, getting ready for our clinics that night. Um, I thought I saw Kennedy just guess right and reach and lunge for the ball. Um, the angles are always different. And um, the thing was, Javon was setting it up to get one shot. Yeah. They had enough time. I think he was going to step back and then Kennedy lunge for it. And then the ball was on the floor. And then that tip by Crutwick that sent the ball all the way back down the other end, that's when the clock ran out. That's a heads-up play by Crutwick <laughs> Absolutely. There. And the frustrating thing about that play, uh, understand from the coach's side of it, is some of the inconsistency that can happen in a tight game like that when all of a sudden down the stretch the referees decide to blow, swallow their whistle. And a couple possessions before that, Crutwick just lost the ball going up for a shot. Clay was at least two feet from him, nowhere near him, and the whistle blew. Yeah, And when those calls happen and you see the contact that happened there, because even lunging for the ball, he dove into Javon's body. And then there's no call. That's the frustrating thing that happens. But at the same time, too, for the Crusades, I felt like that was one of those growing pain moments that happen when you're trying to make that next jump. Um, I felt like all year long watching this team, um, just certain plays here and there, a rebound here or there, making free throws here and there, their record is totally different than what yeah. it is. And when you're rebooting and you have a sophomore leading your team, you have uh, two freshmen that are stepping in and really helping out, transfers stepping in and helping out. And then the one guy who has consistency in your program, he was out the majority of the year. I mean, that, that team is, is, is competing very hard, and it was just a heartbreaker to, to watch that happen. So we'll get back to the totality of Valpo here in, in a minute. I want to go back to this game for a second. When you're a player, do you want – But I don't care if you're on offense or defense, what, regardless. When you're coming down the stretch in a tight game – do you want the chance to play it out with a little bit more leniency from the refs there, or do you want them to be tight on the whistle in that situation? The goal is always consistency. And so however you've been calling it the first 39 minutes and 50 seconds, we expect you to call the same way the last 50 seconds of the game. Um, when you have a chance to take the lead and or tie the, the score up, um, you – are playing to get a basket. You're not playing for the call, but if it happens, you expect that call because that's what's been happening the entire game. And that's the one frustrating thing that can happen with basketball. In the NBA, we call it superstar calls and non-calls. It's very, very frustrating. I just believe it's the game of basketball. If you make contact, it should be a foul. So let me ask this. You talk about superstar calls. I've seen a lot on Twitter today. And let me back up. for. I don't know if it was a foul or not. I'm not. Right. I don't know. I I saw what I saw, but mm-hmm. I understand that what I saw probably is colored a little bit differently. Uh, I saw a lot of contact, and I guess what I wanted was I wanted an opportunity for a shot to go up to see if it would go in. Mm-hmm. Never got that opportunity. Got that. Whether mm-hmm. it was a foul, fine. But when we talk about superstar calls, and I've always harped on this, why I don't really like the NBA, I feel like Giannis, who I love as a Bucks fan, should get the same calls that – Marvin Williams, who they just signed to be their 13th guy, should get. It doesn't always happen that way. But shouldn't 
Javon Freeman Liberty get calls that I mean he's going against a freshman who granted played a game uh, you know he was Marquise Kennedy is going to be a player we'll yes, talk more about him with Chris Sparks later on who's watched many of his games but shouldn't Javon Freeman Liberty if anybody is going to get a superstar call for Valpo mm-hmm. shouldn't he be the one that would get that call yes another thing about Javon is his game is built off aggression and getting to the basket he has improved his jump shot this year, but he's still a slasher and a guy that attacks the, the hole. So he was preparing to go and attack, and he didn't get that chance to do it. And that's what makes it frustrating in that right there. Um, but at the same time, it's all about consistency once again. Um, and those games are tough because I felt like, you know, in the paint where Loyola dominated, what Kubrick was able to throw his weight around a little bit. He was able to be physical and be a presence and make it difficult on us because a lot of our guys are still slight of build. Um, we're still growing and, and developing. And so it's allowed to be a physical game down on that end with him getting to the free throw line multiple yeah. times. But then on the other end, they are allowed to play hand-to-hand combat. 21 free throws for Loyola, 5 for Valpo. And that's what I was about to and pull up. And you can't tell me that um, Javon doesn't attack the basket. You can't tell me that Kaiser, who loves to get physical, he ain't going in there mixing it up and attacking the basket. Malik has developed his um, his perimeter shot, so he can pick and pop a little a little bit more. Um, even Aaron Gordon, he get, he's not afraid to get in there and mix it up. Uh, five free throws. I don't think Valpo was that passive on offense. They were aggressive, and you have to be if you're going to make a comeback the way they did. And, and you know, in, in the last home game that Valpo played against Northern Iowa, a game where they were abysmal in the first half, mm-hmm. the first 17 minutes was terrible, they fought in the second half. One of the things that Matt Lodick pointed out, I think, and I don't have the numbers exactly in front of me here because the box score is a little, a little finicky online, but right. I think Valpo shot four free throws in the first half and 17 in the second half. I don't know that that's the ref calling the game any different so much as it's Valpo being aggressive, and attacking the aggressive, basket. going to the going to the to the hole mm-hmm. and 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 shooting a ton of free throws in that situation. So you've you've been to a handful of you've been to a lot of Valpo games this yes. year, I imagine. Mm-hmm. You've watched a lot of the games. Just about all of them. Give me a general assessment of this team right now. They're 12 and 13. They're 5 mm-hmm. and 7 in conference. They haven't won back-to-back games since the beginning of the season. They've kind of gone win-loss, win-loss. Mm-hmm. Now they've got two losses in a row granted against probably arguably the two top teams in the league. Is is Valpo a good bad team or is Valpo a bad good team? I think they're a solid team. I think they're a team that is on the verge. Um the past Wednesday, I believe it was Wednesday night's game against uh, Northern Iowa. That's a tough one. Multiple things with that. Number one, uh, thanks to being on the family of networks now, when the weather is a little bad, it's a little bit easier to make the decision. You know what? I don't want to go to the game. Yeah, I'm gonna sit yeah. at home and watch it on you my TV. You never had this when you were a player. Didn't they have always it. packed the arc. Because... You remember the blizzard of '98 when Southern Utah came into town. Um, we still had 3,000 fans come out there and find a way and get to the game. Because there's nothing else to do. There's nothing else to do. And I think that game, from a player standpoint, when you have a young team, when you got a big game and you can walk out and you see nobody's there, that could be kind of deflating to you. And I felt like the energy was not great in the building for a big game. I felt like that kind of maybe impacted the team a little bit in the first half. And some people say, well, how can it happen? No, listen, we're human. 
we're, we're human beings. Yeah. We want people to be out there, especially the first place Northern Iowa team. And um, I think that caused them to be a little flat in that first half, and they got a wake-up call. Now, it's a chicken or an egg thing because fans will tell you, and probably justifiably so, you got to give us a reason to come out. And if you're going to play flat for the first 17 minutes and be, you know, so I, I see I see fans who say, well, why do I, I mean, I've heard people around town, I'm not going to pay to go see that. You know, they don't bring in good opposition. They don't bring in, well, look, A.J. Green's going to be in the NBA. That's He's a, a big time player. And they played great defense on him. They played great defense that entire game. If you would have told you at halftime that A.J. Green would have five points in the first half, you would have said Valpo was up 10. Yeah, absolutely. Northern absolutely. Iowa was up 15, 34 to 19. Yeah. That, yeah. that should tell you something. And then there were some questionable calls. I thought they did a good job of playing Green's right hand really, really well. Um, I thought he pushed off a few times and kind of got away with it. But he has that kind of behind-the-head release a little bit like Larry Bird does, and that makes it a little tougher in terms of blocking his shot. Um, and then the other elephant in the room is three for 24 from three. Yeah. You know, one for 11 in the first half. You make four three-pointers. Different game. Different game. And then what starts to happen, especially sometimes with a younger team, it can happen to older teams, but especially with a young team, that shot's not falling. The pressure, the tense, you try to get it all at one time. There's a couple times it got it down to 10, and it was almost like they were trying to make that shot to get it over the hump and really. This is not rock and jock b-ball jam. There is no 10-point shot, but you know they're trying to hit these shots. You're trying to get it to build that momentum, to build that energy and get things going. And you have to give credit to uh, Northern Iowa as an experienced team. Um, a very, very good team, a team that is prepared. If A.J. is not having a good night, um, I forgot the other kid's name. He was from Texas, 6'7 kid. They got Isaiah Brown. They got oh. Austin Fife, Trey Burhau. Trey Burhau is the kid that, uh, you know, he had six points only, but he had 11 rebounds. Yeah. I mean, a 45 to 39 rebounding, but, you know, Fife and Burhau had 24 yeah. of those rebounds. Yeah. I think Isaiah Brown is an underrated player. Great defender. For what he does, 6'7". Um, I don't think he looked the score enough. I think he can be a really benefit because he's he's that that wing we all talk about nowadays. He's that wing guy that can match up and can be a matchup uh, nightmare for the opponent. So that's a tough one. And for them to bounce back and compete the way they did at Loyola and really had a chance to win that game. Um, I think Loyola really dominated for a certain period. But if you really look at the outset of that entire game, Valpo, I played them a majority of that game. So they made a lineup change. They take Daniel Sackey out of the starting lineup for the first time all year, Mm -hmm. a guy that has had flashes of being really good and then just some stretches where it's just not been working for him. They put Nick Robinson back in the starting lineup, who I think, if he doesn't have a back issue throughout the year, is probably in the starting lineup the entire time. I like Nick Robinson a lot. I I really do. Career-high nine assists in that game, but Javon Freeman-Liberty was primarily the point guard, Mm -hmm. primarily. And... And I think, I mean, it's you want the ball in the hands of your best player. Now, if he's the one being the decision maker, talk to me about what you think about the idea of let's have Javon handle the ball more often in this game now. Well, nowadays is, is very different because what you would kind of classify Javon as more of a combo guard. Um, really, all he has to do is really come down and just initiate the offense, and then he can go back to being a scorer's mentality. And then somebody like Nick Robinson, who have nine assists, who maybe is more of a playmaker and thinks that way, with the flow of how their offense goes, um, they can create and get baskets that way. Um, I like that lineup. Um, I have to give a lot of credit to Nick Fazekas, 
Ryan Fazekas. Oh, I'm sorry, Ryan. I, I mean, say Nick Fazekas because Nick Fazekas played at Nevada. In Nevada. I say yeah. Ryan. I, 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 I get it all. Yeah. yeah but Ryan, I, I want to give him a major shout out and kudos for what he's fought and battled to come back and get back on the court. It's not easy, and he could have easily hung it up. But he was close. But his presence as a shooter that gives them a little bit of more room on the offensive end. You can tell, um, like even that Northern Iowa game, they kind of packed the paint a little bit, wanted to force us to shoot over the top. They didn't do that with Fazekas. They were on his hip, and I think maybe the, the three threes we hit, he probably hit two of them. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> again, Chris Sparks will be joining us a little bit later on. I know you know Chris very well. Oh, teammates yeah. Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he, he talks about the three-point shot. You talked about it there. Valpo hit threes to get back in this game. They didn't hit threes against Northern Iowa, as you say. I've seen some people online have said that they're a little hesitant to be excited about Valpo's run back into the game because it was Kaiser hitting a three. It was McMillan hitting a three. It was, But is this what Valpo's – they have to live by the three and die by the three? Is that where they're at with well, some of the players they have? I think with – the lack of a true low post presence. I think Ben Cricky can eventually get there, but he's a freshman. He's young. And also, if you look around just sports in general, the game of basketball, it's become a three-point heavy dependent uh, shot that vital to people's offenses. Um, the one thing that's taught, been talked about is the extension of the three-point line. Yeah, Percentages have gone down across college basketball because it's a further shot. And I was always taught the further away you are from the basket, the lower your percentages yeah. are. And so um, without having a, a guy really who can play his back to the basket and generate, one of the things all I talk about with you a lot, that a guy who I think was very underrated was Zoran Viskovic. Yep. Zoran was big, was wide. He commanded attention down low. With him commanding attention, you can't just lock up and, and – and, on us or pack the paint and force us to shoot over the top because we have somebody that we can release and throw the ball down low into. And when your shot's not going, the ability to manufacture baskets, getting to the free throw line, um, running a, a cute set to get a, a runner, a hook shot, a floater, um, that mid-range game that seems to be forgotten about because now it's either drive all the way to the basket or launch that three, it becomes that much more important. And if you ever go back and like watch – especially that Northern Iowa game. When that game started getting close, A.J. Green put his head down and went right to the basket. Mm-hmm. How many times did they get something going to the hoop and not relying on that shot? Or even Loyola. What was the game plan for them? They pounded the paint. How many points in the paint did they have? They had quite a few here. Almost 40. Like. Almost 36 of their 70 points, more than half their points, was in the paint. In the paint. And so the great Steve Flint used to teach us points in the paint is what win championships. Points in the paints and rebounding. Because, you know, that shot, it can come and go. But if the closer you can get and manufacture those points and generate those fouls, you have a chance to still be in it. So then let's let's take a broader view here because we're going to get into Matt Loddick for a second because mm-hmm. you're certainly more qualified to talk about coaching than mm-hmm. I am. Let's talk about roster construction for a second. Clearly Valpo got eviscerated by transfers yes. with the seven-footers, Jay Soroya and Derek Smith's leaving. Derek kind of figured he was gone. Soroya it was late in the process. Seven footers don't grow on trees. No. You're not going to replace one late. Mm-hmm. I would argue that Soroya leaving really, really hurt the team. But in the same vein, there was maybe, and maybe this is trying to put lipstick on a pig here, but there was talk about, okay, well, Golden State plays Draymond Green at the, at the five, and mm-hmm. now the Houston Rockets are starting P.J. Tucker at yeah. the five, right? So mm-hmm. it 
it, it's worked for Valpo a lot. I mean, it would, you know, obviously they got destroyed by Northern Iowa, but there were times when they would play five guards essentially yeah. and it was going okay. But when Crutwig is out there, it really just kind of blows everything up. Now, Crutwig might be the only true dominant center in the Valley. Correct. So it's going to be exposed in this. But from a roster construction standpoint, are you okay with how things are laid out at the moment? I like the way they play. Um, they play the way we always want to play. They like to get up and down the court. Um, I mean, how many years eligibility does Cutler have? I mean, it seems like he's, he's been, got one more. After I mean, this. he's been here forever. Yeah. Of course, he was here as a freshman. They went to the Final Four. But the thing about it is, it's not necessarily always about having a dominant big man, but it's finding a way to generate points in the paint. Um, you can run. I like to see Clay post up more, develop his body, and get down on on the block. Well, there's no doubt that he is going to be something special. He, I like he him. gets a year. The best thing about freshmen is they become sophomores, sophomores. and you get a year in the strength and conditioning program because they get here in July, and granted, Mm -hmm. they went to Canada and all of that, but you get him on a year of eating the way the Division I athlete's supposed to eat, benching and lifting and all of that. That guy, I mean, we've seen Malik make a big stride body-wise. We saw Jabril Atacoya make a big stride body-wise. You've seen guys like Dan Oplin, even Jason Jenkins, guys like yes. that over the years. So that's coming for him. And Malik went the other way. These guys went more the other way in terms of slimming down. We're talking about Clay putting on more physical mass, which is like, that's a scary thought because he's a guy easily you could slide down the post. He can a matchup nightmare. I mean, imagine if you're putting uh, Javon at the one and he could play your two. Yeah. Yeah. That's at six, a- seven, six, eight. And that's where we're talking about is more generation of, of points in the paint. Um, the traditional big is more of a struggle now because of that five-guard system, like you said. And um, it's a specialization thing. Um, Draymond Green is a, is a very good player. It also helps him having two all-stars with him. That don't miss from the three-point There line. you go. And then even as a rim protector, they had before Durant, like they had 6'11", 7-foot Kevin Durant back there to help you out also. And so um, I like their team. Um, I would have loved to see – honest, I would like to see Smith stay with this team. Uh, I think if Rick, if Smith would have uh, – excuse me, Derek Smith would have stayed with this team with his ability down low, and then you're talking about having a clay on the perimeter. Um, I um, Robinson, I really like him. I love, love to see him stay healthy this whole year. I think early on in the year he was a big, big factor in that back start acting up, and I think that's taking away some things in terms of uh, versatility, what they can do. And um, – um, but, you know, the offseason, it will come to address those issues and needs. Uh, but it's good to see a team get up and down the court and the way they compete. Um, I would like to see them, the light click on before they get 10 points down yeah, or before they get hit a lull. But that's part of the growing pains. This is a totally, this is what we got to remember, this is a totally different roster from what it was last year. And that's, I think, as we look at the whole thing, the fans justifiably so are frustrated. They're frustrated because it's been a couple years of and this. And you know, yeah, well, <laughs> let's just be honest. You know, Valpo fans mm-hmm. have been blessed. I, I think about this like I'm a Green Bay Packer fan. Exactly. I have had Brett Favre and, and Aaron, Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. And don't tell me that we're not drafting the next All Pro this year for the next 15 years. I'll lose my mind exactly. if the Packers end up struggling. So mm-hmm. I can, I can, I get it. So. I want to I want to talk about Matt Lodick for a second because you have never pulled any punches when it comes to talking about you. You've got opinions always. You you like Matt. Mm-hmm. You and and I think the popular sentiment from people is he's got to go. I don't. I, I you know I I'm not smart enough to know the answers right. of these things. <laughs> mm-hmm. You've played. 
you can, you know the temperature of players. Where are you at on Matt Lottick? Well, anytime there's change, I'm an Army brat. My dad was in the Army. I moved around quite a bit. So change became natural for me. It was different going from Columbus, Georgia to Bamberg, Germany to Fort Riley, Kansas. That's pretty extreme. Yeah. And it's extreme going from Homer to Scott to Bryce to who? Yeah. That's basically what and, – and what happens is, especially, you know, every college program, especially in the power ones, who was going to replace Dean Smith? Who was going to replace Bob Knight? Duke fans right now, who's going to replace Coach K? It's sort of the same thing on a smaller level here. So even myself, it's like, who? I mean, we couldn't find somebody who has any lineage, connection that fans knew. But as you watch, and I've got a chance to talk with Matt a couple times, um, I like the fact that he's being himself, number one. Yeah. The biggest thing is whenever you take on a job or you are quote unquote following somebody's footsteps, you have to be confident in yourself to be who you are. And you're not going to trying to be anybody else. You're not trying to have anybody remember anything about the Drew or anything like that. And um, he's very confident in being himself. Number two, if you really watch, he runs good stuff. I love their motion. I love the um, when they're moving. They understand when to dive. Switching this very, very big thing. How many times I've seen Clay dive to the basket, get wide open, Kaiser get open. I like the sets they run. And then there is familiarity with the program and the expectations of the program because he was an assistant three years under Bryce. And then you also got Luke, who's been there Man, eight, a long time. 18, 20 years. Oh, 18, then even Coach Bowen, who's been here on the bench before and done that. So um, I really have enjoyed watching the difference between his team last year and his team this year. You see the fight. You see a lot of the characteristics that he had at Stanford. A little bit of an underdog mentality. Uh, the game is never over. We're going to continue to the fight. We're going to continue to cut. They cut just as hard with two minutes to go as they cut with 18 minutes to go. That's a good point. Good point. Uh, so let me let me ask this question that's popped up and again i i take a lot of what i see from the internet because this is where i'm here and and, and people come up to me at games and stuff like that matt has gotten a lot of criticism about his interactions with the refs this idea that maybe the call would have been made if matt would have harped on them earlier body language things like that is is there and that and, and and the biggest one to me is that the players need to know that matt has their back You've been a player. You've been a coach. Is there something to that? And what do you see here? I think that's a reach, an extreme reach. Um, don't get me wrong. I'm more of a fiery guy. Yeah, yes. I've played intramural football with you. I know how fiery of a guy you are. I compete. So it's nothing for me in my day to yell at the refs and get a T. And I knew that if people that were around you weren't competing, you'd let, you'd let them know. That's just who I am. But I think I just mentioned something that – I say his teams play just as hard when it's two minutes left to go as they do with 18 minutes left to go. I've been around some teams. I've seen some teams that mail, mail it in pretty quickly. How many times this year, uh, as soon as they got down 10, 12 points, you're like, okay, the game's about to get interesting now. You're just waiting for them to make that run. That's characteristic of a reflection of their coach. That's characteristic of them not giving up on themselves and them playing hard. And I think that's us getting caught up in name recognition, too, as if, you know, Coach K magically make the refs give him a call um, or uh, Roy Williams magically just make this thing happen. Um, 
I think the players show you this year what they think about Coach Lodge, about how they perform and how hard they play for him. I think it's pretty obvious. And if you ever don't doubt it, okay, just let's watch some games from last year and then compare it to what you're seeing this year. Or I'll tell you what, don't even do that. Just watch the game this year and watch the Canada trip this year. Yeah. The yeah. Canada trip said a lot about how this team was going to be this year. It told you right there. It told you how they competed to the buzzer. It told you their camaraderie, their togetherness, and that's why I keep telling I, I keep saying they're close. They are right there. And the difference is two home games. One of the things we were, I was always taught is you win all your games at home, go 500 on the road. In the NFL, that's a 12-4 and four record, and you're in the playoffs. And if you take that in here, that's 13 conference or 14 conference wins. Basically, yeah, yeah. So we're 5-7. and seven. How many games have we lost at home in the conference? Well, that's Loyola and Northern Iowa. That's the two right there. So when you lose those two, that means you got to get two more on the road to make up for those two that you lost. And you've beaten Evansville, but that's, that's it so far, right? And if you look at the schedule, now we know – we never want to play the paper game because paper don't play. But got to win the home game this this Wednesday. Southern Illinois, upstart team, first-year coach, and they've bought in. Mm-hmm. And he's doing it with some young, young guys. Marcus Damask, who's from Wisconsin, who was supposed to go to Northern Kentucky. And then when John Brandon left for Cincinnati, Damask opened it up again, and Valpo just wasn't – Valpo wanted him. Couldn't get him because none of those guys had announced they were transferring yet. They didn't have any open scholarships. He lands at Southern Illinois. There is a simulation of this universe where Damask is at Valpo, and maybe we're talking about some different things here. Talking about some different things. And then the game after that at Illinois State. Now, every game in conference is a tough game. You cannot take anybody lightly. But there's a game to get on the road. That's that's the one. You got to get it when teams are struggling. And so – you know, we got six games left. I like to see us win five of our last six. That puts you at 10 wins. That'll put you definitely in the upper half, and it puts you in a good position for the tournament because we don't want to be in the bottom three going into the tournament. Don't want to be in the bottom four. Yeah, you got to play on Thursday night. You got to play on Thursday night. So um, I, you're going to have to win two two games on the road to finish it out. And then you got to beat Southern Illinois, Bradley, and Missouri State at home, at which – those teams are all, you know, Missouri State picked to win the league. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the best matchup for Valpo with Tulia Da Silva out there finally back and playing. Bradley almost always seems to shoot well, and they got Daryl Brown, an experienced guard. And won the uh, conference tournament and last year. And won the conference it? tournament last yeah, year. And, Eli- and Elijah Childs is back. Mm-hmm. And then again, we're getting out of order of these games. You go to Drake, and that team, you know, I never really know, but they came here with all those region guys coming home, and Valpo was able to get them. So. Yes. It, uh, and a battle, though. It was, oh, it was a yeah. type. It was certainly a battle. And that was one where Valpo was up up good and, and, and almost uh, got a little hairy at the end there. Let me ask you this, though. Is it just – I mean, you talk about they're close. Is it just a, a level of talent right now that just needs to mature a little bit more? I believe so. And I, one thing we, we have to remember, this is a different team. You lost how many guys from last year? Four Bakari guys. Evelyn, Marcus Golder, Derek Smith, Jay Soroya, and Micah Bradford. That's five guys. And Bradford didn't play a whole lot, but, but still, still. That's yeah. that's five guys, and you're replacing them. And Robinson's first year playing. Gordon's first year playing after a transfer. Creaky's Creaky's first year playing. Donovan Clay, Clay's Clay. first year playing. And Fazekas didn't play but, a ton. He didn't play a ton this yeah, year either. Injuries. So 
Um, every team has their own identity. Every team has to establish what kind of mindset, what kind of uh, team they want to be and what they're going to be. Um, this team needs those experiences, those that taste. They can taste it. They're very, very close. And then we got to remember something, too. And, you know, this is the Missouri Valley Conference. I got recruited by the old Missouri Valley with uh, Creighton, um, you know, when Missouri State was Southwest Missouri State. Yeah. Long has been one considered one of the toughest conferences in America. And I think they're ranked in the top 10 in terms of R- R- RPI. Yeah, or net, or whatever. Net, whatever Eight you, teams on the top 150 in the country yeah. in net. This is different from playing in the Horizon League. You know, in the Horizon, this is not disrespect, but we got to the point where we were rolling, we kind of knew who we could pick off, who we were going to get. Yeah, you could look at a schedule. Like, you tell me right now five or six games Valpo's got to win, and I'm going to tell you, well, let's take it one game at a time. time. Exactly. If we were looking at the Horizon League, I'd be like, okay, Youngstown's yeah. a win, Cleveland State's a win, you know, probably or Milwaukee's a win. I'll date myself even more when we played Chicago State. Yes, well, those were. <laughs> I mean. The worst part about that was that if they finished in last place, you had to play them in the conference tournament right. again and torpedo your RPI one more time. Exactly. And so, and that's why I said we didn't want to play the paper game because this conference, every game is tough. Every game is means something, and um, you just want to keep building. And what you don't want at this point, because we've lost two in a row, we lost to arguably the two best teams in the conference. Now we got to nip that in the bud. You don't want that to snowball, and that's what makes this next game very, very big. Okay, guys, we're continuing to be right there. We just clean up five minutes segments of our games. We could dig down deep when a team score a couple times. Okay, we got to get a stop and get a basket right here to nullify that or we come out the second half hey we'll come out flat we give it a quick 6-0 run if we can eliminate those two things continue to attack the paint more and get to the basket we're okay so there is an idea that if Valpo can't get it going that they should just napalm the whole thing you're Mm -hmm. obviously not on board with that you think this is they've got some building blocks here right yeah absolutely and once again, you're in a top 10 conference. I think these last six games are going to be huge in the outcome of that. Um, the business of college athletics is something that um, is not really happily discussed because we have this nostalgia of what we think college athletics is in terms of, um, well, it's better than the program. Kids are just playing for the pride and for the name on their jersey. It's a, it's a hardcore business. Yeah, for every one of these guys, for, this for, is their job. This for everyone, including the student athletes who That's made what a, I'm saying, who, yeah. who made a decision to come play for Coach Lodge, and uh, I think this is his fourth year. First year he's in the Horizon. Second year he's got to jump to the Missouri Valley and losing the best player and one of the best players in school history, if not the best, in Alec Peters. Yeah, and I think they have a real strong core. I mean. If you go back and you you do a lot of this in the history, you look at three uh, freshman and sophomore cores, Valpo's history, you're going to be hard-pressed to find three right now that are better than Freeman, Clay, and Crinky. Yeah, yeah, I agree I'm with just, you. I'm just being honest about it. Yes, great players can play any generation, I believe that, but those three young men, they can really, really play. And I think you have to give – well, you don't have – I think it will be wise to let those three guys grow and develop with Javon becoming a junior now, which elevates your uh, your leadership, it elevates your experience, your respect factor. 
Clay having a year at which he's having. And let's think about it. If you name the top three to five freshmen, we probably got two of them in yeah. the conference. Yeah, without, I mean, you've got you've got Kennedy at Loyola is pretty good. You've got Damask at Southern Illinois is pretty good. A couple other guys in the league, but you give me Clay night in, night out, and Cricky has shown flashes, flashes of brilliance. Of he reminds me of a left-handed writer's graphs. Um, and he's another guy who will put on some muscle. Absolutely. As I don't know that he'll ever be Cam Crutwig big, but no. he'll, he'll, he doesn't need to be. But what it'll help him with is establishing his position that he can't get moved off of it. And when he goes to the basket, instead of getting that nudge in the air and, and pushed, he's going to go dunk it. He's going to go bring the, the house down. Let me uh, – we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up here in a little bit. We've been going for a while now. You talk about Lodic when he took over. He took over a team that had a lot of Bryce's players on it. But let's mm-hmm. not act like Lodic didn't help construct that team. He, he was recruited. an assistant for three years. He, he recruited, recruited a lot of those guys. And a mm-hmm. lot of those guys stayed because they knew him. Yes. So then he starts recruiting for the first time as a head coach, and he brings in a couple of transfers. He brings in a couple of wild cards. And just it for whatever reason, it didn't mesh. Mm-hmm. How much of that is on him? How much of that is on those guys? How much? Because because you talk about you know let's let's you got the building blocks in place now. Mm-hmm. You know I, I always I always use the the uh, you know if if you're gonna buy the ingredients you got to let the cook get the ingredients right now. Mm-hmm. But he had some bad ingredients. Whatever and and maybe those guys are all singularly doing well in, in their places now. But right. for whatever reason, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Is that on him? On them? How do you take it as a as a guy who's been in this family before? The tough thing about it is, you know, we're in a sport in college basketball that who gets all the praise? Coaches, if they win or they lose. Well, the coaches get a lot of the praise. Who gets all the adulation? Coaches. Who Who gets gets the contracts? Who gets the contracts? Coaches. It's the coaches. And so one of the most unique things about college basketball is that the coaches chooses who they want to be a part of their team. And when you make that choice, ultimately it, it, it it's on you, but it's a it's a two way street. In other words, you know, um, the, what is the old saying? That's that kid dribbling my check. Yeah, okay, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Up and down the court. Yeah. Um, Valpo is very very different from a lot of schools because of the high academic that is required here. Um, it shocked me when I got here. And I, I'm not a dumb guy. I knew I could do the work or whatever. But um, having to sit in, um, in these classes, um, the religious classes and the core classes, I'm like, oh, my goodness, what, what, what is this? And then also the shock value of where you're coming to in terms of the area and doing that. So um, but it, it is on him to an extent because he's responsible for it, but it's not something that stains your resume because if we be honest, every coach has brought in a kid that they hope for the best and it did not work out. Been a few at Valpo that the Drew family brought in. But what happens is it gets more magnified with Coach Lodge is because he went to Stanford Technically, okay, who is Coach Lada? He just jumped from here to here and is not a member of the Drew. And sometimes our allegiances are so strong, we can't let go of that. So we nitpick everything with the next person. Yeah. And listen, 
I went to school with some that didn't work out. Yeah, that's that's, that's fair. <laughs> I mean, you put some, you put you put your tennis shoes on next to a couple guys that didn't work out. It didn't work out, and I knew it wasn't going to work out when we met. But at the same time, it, it's just one of those things, unfortunately, that happens. A lot of schools have checks and balances they go through to make sure, in terms of uh, screening kids, making sure academically they can meet the requirements, do those things, and it's, it's lessons learned. You know, for every kid that's somebody made a reached out on and didn't work out there's some other kids in me some people thought i was a risk because i went to junior college you turned out okay and not knowing the reason why i went to junior college i didn't go to junior college because my grades were bad i just had some things happen in high school that didn't work out for me i still have the chat board i say that when somebody said valpo needs to quit recruiting junior college kids it makes the university look bad <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's 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 things are always magnified when a you're not winning and it doesn't go well. And you think they're closer to winning than they are to losing at this point? Yes. I well, listen. I've I've told Luke. Um, I'll text him after a game. Hey, you guys just missed a couple free throws here. You guys are the right there. And I thought when I watched them play against Northern, I'm like, man, they are really guarding Northern Iowa. Northern Iowa is struggling to score. How many times did that clock run down? And they were trying to force up a shot, and then maybe they didn't get the rebound. They may have got it back. Or uh, how many times where, okay, that guy might have been open, but I got to make this play. And that trust in the teammate taken from a good shot to a great shot wasn't there because they're just the pressure of trying to make that comeback. And then you saw the Loyola game right there. I mean, did Loyola look like they had players that much better than us? Didn't look like that to me. I haven't seen a game where I felt like a team was just that much more talent, more talented than us. Then is it? Then what is? Is it? Is it experience? Is it coaching? Is it? It's, it's is a, it just? A, it's it's a maturation process that goes that young teams and young players go through. We talk about a lot about the freshman wall. We talk a lot about getting over the hump and winning. Even this, once again, you got a new team, a lot of guys first year. How do you? get everybody to fit together as a cohesive unit and have people understand and accept their roles. One of the hardest things for me when I play, I had to accept the role. And I had to accept the role that I didn't think I should have had to accept. But if I wanted to go to an NCAA tournament, if I wanted to win the Midcon, if that's what really what my goals were, we wasn't going to get there with me pouting and fighting, arguing what my role was. I had to accept it. And then what happens is, once everybody on the team accepts everybody's individuals and who they are and what they represent, you then start to become a cohesive unit because then you're starting to play for each other. Then you're starting to hang more with each other. That bond increases. Then those things on the court, those conversations on the court when we're going over things, they're not yelling matches. They're like, oh, no, 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 this is what we need to do here. You need to switch right here. Listen to my call. I'm going to call to pick right right here. Are you sure? I, I, he's gone left the last couple of times. And then those things start to manifest, and then you'll see it happening, developing on the court. And I'll tell you when you see it the most. When they're down 15 points, they don't splinter, they don't splinter away from each other. They start to, you'll see them huddle and say, come on, let's go. And now we just got to get them to huddle and say, come on, let's go. When it's 0-0 zero, zero or 10-10. From start to finish. And as they continue to build that confidence, it's going to happen, and I'd love to see it happen this year. I'd love to see them finish strong and then make a run in the tournament because this is just my personal belief. These kids get confidence. They finish out the year strong. I don't think nobody in the Valley wants to play us. 
I was just thinking. I was I was inching toward the Valpo's not quite, and nobody wants to play them in the tournament yet. But if they stack success here down the stretch, and you know, it, because here's the thing. Okay, did anybody think Bradley was going to win that tournament last not, year? Not no, no. Five minutes, no. Five, Thirty seconds left in the game, and I didn't think Bradley was going to win that tournament. <laughs> so once again, um, strange things happen when you're dealing with college age kids. We don't know. Northern Iowa may say, "Hey, we're going to get that large bid," which is a debt is a dangerous game to play. You've played that game before. <laughs> it's a very very dangerous game to play. But all it takes is that one letdown, and boom, okay, there's an upset. And in this tournament, Missouri Valley. It's always upsets in this tournament. Always. Very rarely the regular season champ also wins. Bradley beat Loyola last year. Rarely they win the postseason championship also. And I, I'm pretty sure you can go back and look the past 15 years and see whoever was won the regular season and the conference tournament. I'm going to so, go on a limb and say it's under four. Doesn't always happen. Yeah, I, I, I don't know the history of the league as much, but from what I, I – they call it arch madness for a reason. Absolutely, and so – Torrance, I want to thank you for coming in. I think you gave us a lot of really great perspective to look at here. we got Chris Sparks joining us here in a little bit, and it's it's interesting because I, I talked to him first, but I wanted to – I knew you were going to be in here. Some of what he says is the same. Some of what he says is different. I'll leave it to you guys to listen and and, and, and hash it out, but really thankful that, that you joined us. And I just think it's great that guys who played here stay in the community, are coming back to games, and, and obviously I know that it's a big part uh, of, of the brotherhood here at the ARC, and, and I think it's great. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you for having me. I think one thing I think they need to know, we want these guys to be successful. We're not here to talk about what happened in the past and all this. No, this is the new generation. Um, I support them quietly. I root for them, and I, I want them to do well. Very good. Thank you very much. Thomas Thank you for Price. having me, man. Appreciate it. Thrilled to have Chris Sparks on the program. Chris Sparks played basketball at Valpo. You coached at Valpo, and now you're broadcasting for the enemy, at least the enemy according to the Valpo fans. You are calling games at Loyola right now with ESPN. Chris, thanks to have you here. Yeah, good, to be to, good to be here with you, Paul. I've always uh, followed this podcast and you started, and uh, it's an honor to be on here. So you were at the game yesterday, Valpo Loyola, a front row seat, probably as, as front row as I had. Uh, let's work backward. What did you see on the final play of the game? You know, um, I think the officials let them play. Um, and if this game's at Valparaiso University, that, that probably gets called a foul. Um, this game was at Loyola, and I think – the last minute, minute and a half, the officials were really just letting them finish the game. So, um, by by the rule book, I would I would say it was probably a foul. Um, but you know, a lot of times the officials will do a, do a good job of just letting them uh, letting the players decide it. So that's my explanation, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> uh, so I've got I've got a two tiered question here. You were a player, and you were a coach. If you're a player, do you want the game called a certain way? And if you're a coach, do you want the game called a certain way? Kind of what's your take on that thought process? Of, of I, I want consistency is what I want. So um, I think the officials did a good job of letting a little bit of physicality the last five minutes and letting the players you know, decide the game. And that's what I want more than anything is consistency. So I know that going into the last three minutes – all right, these guys have been calling it tight, so if somebody's driving on me and I'm playing defense, that I'm going to have to really avoid contact. 
you know, also on the other side, hey, if they're letting us play and it's physical, I know that if I'm the the ball carrier like Freeman, um, that the officials are going to let whatever happens happens unless it's just an outright bloody murder foul and I'm going to have to play through contact. So consistency is what I always look for, both as a coach and a player. When when you played, how long did it take you into a game to figure out how the refs were calling it? Like, if you're physically on the floor, how long does it take you to figure it out? There's three different points, um, Paul, to a game uh, to determine how the officials are going to call. And they, they usually call all three different. So the first five minutes going into the first timeout, they're usually going to call it one way. And that's going to be the way that they've been talking about in the locker room. They maybe have the director of officials call and say, guys, we're going to be watching this. So they may call the first five minutes loose or tight. And then they always kind of adjust from there and try and find the middle ground. And then after halftime is usually where there's another adjustment. So you go in at halftime, you can see maybe that there was some lopsided um, number of fouls on one side. Um, Maybe there was a way that a post player was being defended or a perimeter player was um, having a lot of contact that that wasn't getting called. So the referees will make another halftime adjustment. And then there's always the last five minutes of the game. The the officials are always going to call – uh, the last five minutes of the game different than what they had before. Now, again, I said we were going to work backward. We, we've touched on this. Valpo might have lost an opportunity to make a play because of a call or non-call there, but Valpo didn't lose that game because of the officials. I mean, yes, 21-5 to in free throws was one thing. Loyola missed a lot of those free throws, but... You know, there was a stretch there where Valpo, I think, got it to within two or three points, and they had three or four empty possessions, you know, down down the stretch. You've, you've, you're an alum of Valpo. You've coached at Valpo. What are you seeing from this Valpo team? Are they, are they closer to being good than they are to being bad? Or kind of what? how do you take a team that you're seeing right now? You know, um, it's a great question. I've, I've watched them a lot this year, especially with doing all this work with Loyola and in the Missouri Valley Conference. And I tell you what, they have some young talent that I really, really love. Um, you know, obviously with Freeman, but Clay I'm a big fan of. Um, they have a lot of young talent, but the the knock on the Crusaders this year, um, not just from what I've seen, but also talking to other coaches and broadcasters, is that they're just purely an offensive team. Um, you know, they want to come down, they want to shoot up a lot of threes, and they're going to live and die by the three. You know, you saw – the stretch between the beginning of the second half and maybe like the last seven minutes of the game where they weren't shooting good at all. And then all of a sudden they come down and they had, you know, maybe five out of seven possessions where they got offensive rebounds and they were knocking down a lot of threes. And so you essentially live by the three, die by the three. That's very apparent with this team. The one thing to me that, that is is just not what I'm used to a Valpo team is like all, our hallmark as a team at Valpo, when I played under Coach Drew and when I came back and coached with them, was our defense. And we were always tops in the conference at our defense. And you always know that no matter how good or bad your offense is, that your, your defense will sustain you. And this team, as good as they are on offense, they're that much worse on defense. I think they're ranked eighth or ninth in most categories uh, in the conference for defensive efficiency, um, points per game. Uh, rebounding things of that nature and so it's very easy to see and it was it was blatantly apparent last night that if you make four or five passes against this Valpo defense essentially you make them work um, 
that you're going to get some wide open looks. And you saw Loyola taking advantage of that, where they would just pass the ball around the perimeter three, four times, get an inside outside pass. And I think there must have been 10 to 12 wide open corner threes yesterday on the opposite side of the ball. Um, a lot of wide open looks. Um, they're double teams on the post, which is something that we started when I came back and coached there. Uh, they were not effective on Cam Crutwig. Um, that's something that, you know, you have to be really, really proficient on your rotations and in the way that you approach that double team. Um, and so that's, you know, that's the knock on this team. You know, it's like if they could raise their defensive acuity up to being not eighth or ninth in the league in, in defense, but maybe fourth or fifth, I think they could be really be a team to watch out come Arch Madness time. But seeing the level of defense from all these games I've seen in this conference this year with the Northern Iowa's, with the Southern Illinois, um, you know, even even with uh, like Missouri State, uh, the defense and the defensive rotations and the culture of defense with these teams is unlike anything I've ever seen. Um, and I think that's the uh, Crusaders' Achilles heel this year. Now, it felt like in the Horizon League that that many of these teams were talking the Oaklands of the world, and Greg Campy would be the first to tell you that he tried to score 100 points, and if they played defense, it was merely by accident, uh, that so many of those teams in the Horizon League, the Youngstown States, the Cleveland States, all of that, they were just trying to score every possession. But where Valpo thrived was when they started paying attention to defense, and they were able to... I mean, I thought it was very odd the years that Valpo won. They they beat Cleveland State in a game in the 40s, I think, in the conference title game, and I think they beat Wright State in a low-scoring game. Now you move to the Valley, and everybody plays defense. It feels like a different brand of basketball. Am I right in that? Yeah, it, it really is. And, you know, going back to the Horizon League days, um, you know, Cleveland State, they love to score, but they were one of the most defensively intense teams that we faced, uh, you know, like, just like you said, you know, the low scoring games, but, um, and, you know, as much as Campy loves to score, um, you know, I think he's, he was really selling his team. He, he, he does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, you're exactly right, Paul, like defense at this level, um, you know, pretty much across the board, the talent is pretty even in the Missouri Valley conference. You don't see, it's not like the Horizon League where you, you had, you know, eight or nine teams that were were pretty much the same talent level, and then you'd have one or two teams that had some NBA players on it. You know, so like all the years that Bryce was making his run, you know, he had three NBA players on his team. He had Halleck, he had uh, Rowdy, and then he had Bashil. Um, the years that Cleveland State made their run, they had Norris Cole. Um, the years that Butler was making their run, you know, they've got uh, uh, Hayward and um, – uh, and Matt Howard and uh, Sheldon Mack. So, um, you know, it, it, it's just the, the level of talent and the level of coaching is so good, um, and it's on such a level that you have to control everything you can. And the first thing you can always control is your effort, and then the second thing you can always control is your effort on defense and defensive rotations and playing all the way through a shot clock. You know, this Loyola Rambler team has had times um, this season where – They've struggled to find shots, even with all the offensive power uh, that they have. Um, they've struggled to find shots, and they'll get down to two, three seconds in the shot clock and um, and have to throw up a bad shot. And that's happened five, six, seven times a game. You know, the Valpo defense only made them do that like one time last night. So um, I think the, the players are there. The coaching's definitely there. 
um, it just it, it is a complete culture change going from one conference to the next and having to make those adaptations and just you know buckling down and pulling your bootstraps up and say okay guys you know we have to make these changes and you know um, coach Drew made a point one time when we were our first years in the Horizon League we were looking to be the top rebounding team in the Horizon League and he looked at the statistics and all it really took at that point was for us as a team to get like three more rebounds a game and so the differences are not Grand Canyon-esque leaps they're just minute differences and really accentuating and focusing on um, you know sticking with your rotations playing defense through the shot clock um, and getting a couple more rebounds per half um, you know getting a, a charge or two more per game things like that Javon Freeman Liberty had four steals in the game against Loyola he's now tied with Stalin Ortiz for seventh all-time in the uh, single season with 57 he's knocking on the door of Lubos Barton's record of 63 steals in one season he is an excellent defender am i wrong or or does he just does he have five six plays a game where he's in the right spot you know paul when it comes to stuff like that you either have the knack for it or you don't you know what what javon has what lubos had um those are things that you can't teach just a nose for the ball a competitiveness you know a desire to get a hand in the passing lane and the most important thing for steals is you're going to find the players that have the most steals are your smartest players out on the floor because they anticipate anticipate the play that's going to happen next, and they position themselves to look like they aren't. You know, Lubos, one of the smartest players that ever put on a Valpo uniform, was just fantastic at making it look like he was out of position, but he knew what you were going to do, and as soon as, as soon as you threw that pass, he was there. I want to go back to coaching for a second because it's it every time Valpo loses a game, it does become. Uh, the in thing to criticize Matt Loddick. And and there's no question that he's probably deserving of, of some degree. They're they're twelve and thirteen right now. They're five and seven in conference. You've got um, a relatively young team when you're starting, you know, you're starting a sophomore in Javon Freeman Liberty, a freshman in Donovan Clay. You've got Malik McMillan who is an experienced guy and then Nick Robinson hasn't played much. Uh, you're having to sit out a year, and Fazekas has battled a lot of injuries, but they're they're relatively young. But where do you fall on the the heaps of criticism that are being levied towards Matt Lodick? Um Well, I, I like Matt a lot, and and I think he's a really good coach. And I'll tell you what, looking at the way this team was last year and their culture um, compared to what they are is just night and day. Um, I remember going to the Loyola game and then another game or two down at Valpo. I think I may have done an ESPN game down there. And just talking to former players, and they would call and text me, and they're like, are, are, they, are the guys on this team really not that bad, but just not not the team culture that, that we were used to? You know, that was the one thing that always sustained the success at Valparaiso University was the culture. And you got to have the right players in there. And I, I, like I said, I really like a lot of the players that are there this year. And they're young and they're inexperienced. And I think if Matt was going to tweak uh, a, a couple more things, um, I, I would just, again, you know, you've done a great job on offense. I mean, they're literally the top offensive team in the entire Missouri Valley Conference. Now you just need some more discipline on defense. And so that's. That's where you find out who really wants to play for you and what type of players you have. 
you know, like a guy like uh, Javon, you know, obviously very offensively talented. Well, it's easy to go out and try and score 20 points a night. Anybody can do that at the Division One level. But how else are you going to help and affect the team, you know, on, on offense, with moving without the ball, on defense, besides steals, you know, how are you going to help and be a leader? And if there was one thing that if Matt would ask me, you know, what do you, hey, what do you think we need to do? I would say just hold your guys more accountable on defense, a little bit more disciplined on defense. And um, like I said, I think they would move up pretty quick. Tate Hall is a guy for Loyola that I know I think Valpo kind of heavily went after when he transferred from U Indy. They've also added this kid, Marquise Kennedy, this year. I tweeted yesterday, among a bunch of things I tweeted, because, you know, it was a fun game and the crowd was into it. It was a great atmosphere. I tweeted that Marquise Kennedy is going to be the Valley Player of the Year before this is all over with, and that might have been a, a prisoner of the moment tweet there. But Marquise Kennedy looked like a world beater yesterday. You've covered a lot of Loyola games. Talk about some of the younger talent that I, I know Tate Hall is a Juco transfer, but but is Marquise Kennedy the real deal? Should we expect to see him uh, as one of the Valley stars in years to come? Yeah, no, I, I love Marquise. He is a very, very talented player. Um and it's something that you see very early on. You know, he played in the Catholic League here in Chicago and was the leading scorer. Um, he is right now a poor man's Isaiah Thomas. Um, he is extremely athletic. We continuously see him in games go up and block four and five men on shots or get rebounds over the top of them. Um, he, anytime he attacks off the dribble from the wing, like the 45-degree angle on the wing, there hasn't been anyone in the Horizon League that can either stop him or um, or he, he draws a foul on him because he's so good and has a knack at getting to the rim, but he has just elite, elite athleticism to finish over them. And, and Paul, I couldn't agree with you more. I was talking about this on the broadcast last night. That, you know, Marquise is definitely going to be a Missouri Valley Conference Player of the Year, and, and if he really, really works at it, and you know, he's got a great coach to do it, um, you know, I think we could see Marquise playing the the next level. Um, just in his maturation, you know, he's really early on in the season, he was turning the ball over a lot, making just a lot of senseless plays, and then he hit a wall in the middle of the season where he kind of lost his confidence, and then um, Coach Moser just put him back in a lot and let him get that confidence back and. And to have a weapon like him uh, on the on the perimeter, and then have a guy like Cam Crutwig, uh, definitely a, a tough combination. And then you know, as far as Tate Hall goes, you know, Tate Hall obviously a great player. Um, he's made a good transition um, to the Division One level. He's really a streaky player. I've seen him um, when they played Vanderbilt in Phoenix at the NBA Suns Arena. He looked like a world beater there. Um, I think he had close to 20 points. He was doing it inside, doing it outside. But then we have some games where if he misses his first three shots, it just completely gets in his head. And offensively and defensively, he just kind of disappears. So, um, you know, he's maturing as the season goes on and getting used to playing Division One basketball. Um, and he's another guy that I, I think could have uh, a very long European uh, professional career. Final question here is we're joined by Chris Sparks, and I know we're, we're middle of the workday here, and, uh, and, and we've got other jobs to do, but Valpo lost their first seven games to Butler when they joined the Horizon League, and then a magical night in the arc. It turned. Howard Little with a huge shot. Valpo wins. They go down to Butler, and all of a sudden they rattle off four straight wins against Butler before Butler left the conference. Yep. Valpo's lost their first seven to Loyola since joining the Missouri Valley, including a season-ending loss at Arch Madness last year. Uh -huh. 
is is the divide you talked earlier about Grand Canyon-esque changes on the court you know a couple rebounds here and there is the divide that large between Valpo or Loyola or do you feel like it's right there for the Crusaders no I I don't think it's it's that large of of a divide but um you know again you have the number one offense in the conference um so it's just more discipline and focus on defense and you know if if a guy comes to valpo he better want to play defense you know that's why we've always gotten to where we've gotten um but literally i mean you look at the conference statistics this year yeah you and i is in first place but there's been so much shuffling around between two and like seven two and eight you know that literally it's going to be one of those seasons where um you know a team has to win all of their home games and then they try and sneak away one or two on the road you know that they should that they should win and those are going to be the teams that succeed and if you look at the margins you know like the ramblers they went up to northern iowa and the game went into overtime and they ended up losing by i think like one or two they went down to uh, southern illinois same thing and so the margins are so small and that's why the little details are so important in the missouri valley conference you know making smart plays, playing sound defense, not giving up offensive rebounds, not turning the ball over, not making senseless plays. And so uh, I, I don't think it is a big leap for the Crusaders to make. You know, And you look at the Ramblers, their first couple of years in Missouri Valley were awful. Um, and uh, you know, Coach Moser got the right players in there. You, know, you can recruit for the Missouri Valley, which is different than recruiting for the Horizon League. So I think they're definitely trending up, especially, again, with these young groups players they have i'm just a really really big fan of the talent they have on that team chris sparks thank you very much you can catch chris during all of the loyola basketball games and we hope to see you down on arch madness and hope things are going well thanks buddy good talking to you